Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Still need some more training, huh? <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Great job. See, the reason Matt needs to stick to the script because all these other ideas come into his mind as soon as he looks up. Thank you, Matt, for doing announcements. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe. If you're wondering why half the room is wearing flannels, uh, it's not because we live in western Pennsylvania, uh, but it is because we had a flannel day. We're, we were going to have an outside service today, uh, but the rain uh, ended that, but we still thought we could wear flannels, eat donut holes, and drink coffee and hot chocolate, and feel free to do that while I'm preaching today as well. We are in the book of Ephesians. Let me pray, and we're going to look at the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us freshly with your Spirit. Lord, as we heard the, the word shared this morning, that, um, Lord, maybe some of us are, are feel parched and dry and uh, just feel like we're going through the motions of our, our Christian life, and we want to encounter you. We want to really experience your, your love and your, your power and the, the new identity that you have given us. And Lord, we, we pray that would happen as we look at your word and as your word is preached this morning, we would be different and we would be amazed. And we ask for your help. I ask for your help in preaching your word. I ask that you would help everyone in receiving your word this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I need you to use your imagination for a little bit, okay? So I want you to picture the most brilliant butterfly you've ever imagined and the ugliest caterpillar you've ever imagined. So most brilliant butterfly, got that? So in all its colorful array, and the ugliest, squishiest, chubbiest caterpillar you can imagine. So you got those two things? Now... Have you ever considered what it would be like to be a butterfly and then later on discover that you once were a caterpillar? Have you ever thought about that? I don't know. I don't know if it's possible to know if a butterfly actually knows that they were once a slow-crawling, squishy, somewhat grotesque-looking creature. Now, you might like caterpillars, but some are really ugly. I looked at lots of pictures this week of caterpillars and butterflies. So I want you to imagine, let's imagine that they do not know that. So there's a whole bunch of butterflies flying around and you're the one to inform them that you were once this. This is what you were. This is where you came from. Um, you might not know this, but I learned this week a caterpillar um, can travel one mile per hour, but they can't sustain that pace very long. So they, they're very slow moving. So imagine if you're a butterfly and you're flying all around and you're enjoying life and the sunshine and flowers and everything that butterflies enjoy. And then you come to discover you once were that. Well, that would give you an appreciation for what you now are in a much greater way than just being a butterfly, knowing where you came from. Well, one of the things that we're going to see in Ephesians 2 that day began last week, is the Apostle Paul, he uses this once and now idea over and over again, this contrast between what we once were 
and what we now are um, because of what Jesus has done. He does that over and over again, not just in the book of Ephesians, but in some of his other letters as well. So this morning, we're going to look at that, what we once were and what we now are, because the transformation that we experienced as Christians is far, 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 far greater than the ugliest caterpillar turning into the most beautiful butterfly. So I want you to have that image, because at the end of the message today, we're going to come back to that image. But we're going to look at what we once were and what we now are. Dave preached from Ephesians 2, chapter 1 through 10 last week, and I just want to point out a couple of the once were type things that, that were in that passage. The Apostle Paul says, once you were dead in your sins and trespasses. So by nature, we were all born spiritually lifeless. Because of that, once we were ruled by our sinful passions and desires. Once we were held captive to those things, and, and the Bible says that we were under the rule of Satan himself. That's what we once were. And then this beautiful passage in Ephesians 2.5 says, then we were made alive in Christ. So we went from being flatlined spiritually to being given, infused with great spiritual life. We once were this, and now we're this. Well, the Apostle Paul is going to continue this once now contrast as he goes through Ephesians 2, the second half of the chapter. But the way to look and understand this second half of the chapter, imagine verses 1 through 10 are over here, and verses 11 through 22 are really parallel. So they're not building blocks like he does in other places. They're actually two parallel passages that are both exploring this once and now reality that we experience in Christ. And all of it flows out of what he has said in Ephesians 1 about the grace of God being revealed and poured out on us. So with that in mind, look at chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Today we're not going to have points. I'm just going to have headings as we walk through uh, these verses. So we're going to see in this first section, once we were hopelessly separated from Christ. That was our natural condition. Look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision by the, the Jewish people, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what we once were. By nature. This term Gentile was a term that was used to describe the Romans and the Greeks. It was a derogatory term. It was one that they would not use to describe themselves. So if I was a, a, a Roman soldier or a, a Greek person, I wouldn't introduce myself as a Gentile. The Jewish people used that term to describe all the unclean people that are not part of God's chosen family. And unless you are an ethnic Jew, you would have been included 
in that category. We were the unclean Gentiles who were separate from God's promises, from God's presence, from God's people. This term, this idea of the the unclean Gentiles comes from the Old Testament. And even David, when he was a shepherd boy, used this language to describe um, who Goliath was before he threw the stone that killed Goliath. Just by way of remembering, listen to this. 1 Samuel 17, 26. And David stood And David said to the men who stood by him, so this is not King David, this is shepherd boy David before he's a king. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David captures well what it would have been like to grow up with the Old Testament law, to grow up among the Jewish people, and to have some sort of natural disdain against those who are not part of God's chosen people. Now we know from other places in the Old Testament, God's heart has always been to gather a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. But at that point, this was predominant. And the church that that Paul is writing to would have had many people that were, were Gentiles, who trusted in Christ. He wants them to know what they once were and what they now are in Christ. And he wants us to know that as well. So let's, let's pick this apart a little bit. Once, we see in the passage, once we were without hope. Once we were without hope. Think about it this way. There was a time for all of us where you did not have a fixed and certain hope in your eternal reality. Now for some of you this morning, you still may not have it. You may be uncertain about what happens when you die and how to make sure that you are right with God before you die. But many of you know the answer to that. You know it comes through trusting in Jesus alone. And the idea of a biblical hope is this Fixed and certain reality. It's not, it's not at all like how we use hope. So on Friday when we're making a decision about the weather and should we be inside or outside, my thought was, well, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope the weather's nice. That's not a fixed and certain reality. That's, a, that's wishful thinking. That's not bad for the weather, but that's not how we want to approach what happens when we meet our creator face to face. We want to have a fixed and certain hope. See, the the people of of Israel had the, the promises of God. They had the covenants of God. But the Gentiles did not. See, once, not only did we not have hope, we were hopeless. To be hopeless is really a, a, just a terrible reality. To be hopeless is to like, be in a, a ship out at sea with no anchor or no rudder. You're just tossed all around. To be hopeless is to not have a firm foundation under your feet. It's to be staking your life on something that is completely changing and uncertain. But in Christ, we have hope. He wants us to remember that we once were without hope. 
Not only that, we once, once we were far off from God's presence, God's promises, and God's people. We were outsiders. So God's chosen people, the Israelites, they had the promises. They had God's presence going with them. The rest of the world was outside of that. We were outside of God's presence. But look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, in the promised Messiah, who wasn't just for the Jewish people, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you're tracking with Paul in Ephesians 2, we were so far off. We were spiritually dead. We were spiritually alienated to God because of our sin. We were outside of his presence. We were outside of his blessing. We were so far outside. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine. Maybe you've gone to places where you felt like an outsider. We were so far removed by nature from God's presence, God's people, God's promises. But in an instant, when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for us to be brought near. And it had everything to do with Jesus being fully God, fully man, and dying on the cross as our substitute for our sins, shedding his perfect, innocent blood to wash away all of our sins, your sins and my sins. So there's no longer a barrier. You can come into God's presence all the time because of his shed blood for you. We now have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But we don't, you won't appreciate it if you understand, if you don't understand how far away we were from God's presence. See, in Ephesians 2 at the beginning of the chapter says, by nature we were objects of God's wrath. God's holy, perfect judgment was upon us. Rightly so, because he is the perfect judge and we rebelled against him. So not only were we far off, but we were objects of his punishment. We were in his sights if we were to have died apart from Christ. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, we have been brought in. That is good news. One of the realities of that is now we have peace. We once were far off, we once were objects of wrath. We once had no peace. Look at verses 14 and following. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There he's talking about the Jewish-Gentile divide by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby 
killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. By nature, we were not at peace with God. There was a mutual opposition between us and God. Us in our sin opposed God, and God in his holiness opposed us. Not only that, because of that sin, it has horizontal consequences. In, in the, the situation Paul's addressing, it had consequences between Jewish, the Jews and the Gentiles. In our reality, it may have differences in family conflicts, in grouping people by skin color or political ideology or whatever divides the world. See, in Christ, Jesus wants his own to be united. He wants his people to be one. And, and so it's not, in the, the Bible, it's not that the Gentiles who trust in Jesus become Jewish. No, we become one new people, the passage says. See, that new people is God's people, God's family. And that's only made possible because God's Son made a way for peace. Peace vertically and peace horizontally. So Jesus, read John 17 this week. Jesus purchased unity for his people and he wants us to be united around him. See, Jesus is the mediator of peace. Paul says it this way, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. See, we now are at peace. In order to appreciate the reality of that, we got to understand we were not at peace. Read the Ten Commandments this week and, and think about them the way Jesus thought about them, not in just the outward action, but have I perfectly obeyed them in thought and all their implications, in any kind of stirrings in my heart? Have I, have I done them perfectly all the time my entire life? The answer is no. That's why we need a mediator. That's why we need one who can make peace for us. See, Jesus is the mediator of peace. Jesus is the giver of peace, both with God and with one another. Consider this passage in Galatians. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, talking about our union with Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, he makes us a new people. Once we were not a people, now we are God's people. That's all because of Jesus' work. Not only has Jesus made peace with God the Father possible for us and peace with one another possible, but he himself, and it says in Isaiah 9, 6, he is the Prince of Peace. Once we were at war, now we have peace. That, that should affect us. That should affect us in every moment when we approach the Lord, and it should affect us in how we are committed to working out disagreements with one another, not just in this local church, but with fellow Christians in our community and trying to live out the unity that Jesus has purchased. 
Not only do we have peace, but now we have access to God. We have access to God. There was a time in your life and in my life where there was no access. Picture steel doors that go as high as your eyes can see into the sky. Steel walls, a fortress, and there was zero way you could get in. No matter how hard you tried, no matter um, how much you worked at it, it was impossible to have access to God the Father. And then Jesus one day opens the way. So imagine that big steel, dark, cold wall opens. The door opens. And you see on the other side, you hear birds singing. You see sunshine. And it gives access to God for you the first time of your life. That only comes when you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus. But you don't just have access you actually are coming in as a son or a daughter. You're coming in as one of the family. God the Father delightfully brings you in all because of what Jesus has done. See, once you had no access. Now, not only do you have access, but we are the actual dwelling place for God, which is incredible. Look at verses 19 through 21. See, part of this access is we not only are invited in, but we become the very household of God. We are members of God's family. You and I. Take a snapshot mentally of the worst year of your life, where behaviorally, the worst year of your life. Could be three years old, could be 17 years old, could be 45 years old where you were just far off from the Lord. You were living for your own passions and desires. And then you turned, you trusted, you were invited in, and now you're part of the family. So when God's introducing his family, he's introducing you. I mean, think about those of you who are parents or grandparents. When you, you talk about your children, oh yeah, this is who they are, this is what they do. You have a, a natural delight about that. You have an excitement. You, you want to celebrate the things that they're doing and accomplishing. Well, you, if you're in Jesus, you're part of God's family. And so he wants to delight in you. He wants to celebrate what you have accomplished through him, through knowing him. So look at verse 19 through 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, foreigners, outcasts. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. So you've been given sainthood, as we talked about a few weeks ago, and members of the household of God. I mean, just consider all that's in verse 19. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. So you might think, but Joe, I, I feel that way when I go to pray. I feel like God may not want to hear me. I pray that I feel like God may not want me to bother him with this again. No, he's your father now. He wants to hear your cares, your worries, your fears, your tears. He wants you to come. You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer an outcast. You are his. 
So not only that, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. I mean, did you ever get away with something? Maybe you were at something that like, you felt like you were way out of your league. So maybe it was like a, a work dinner or like you're with people that just are not your people and you think if they, if they just know the truth about me, they're going to ask me to leave. So I'm going to eat my little hors d'oeuvres and I'm going to fake it. I'm going to talk to them with a smile. But I'm not, I'm not asking many questions. I'm not answering many questions because I really don't belong here. Well, think about our spiritual condition is like that. We, we in and of ourselves do not belong with the titles of citizens of the saints. Part of the very household of God. But the reason we don't have to shrink back is because Jesus is the one who made that possible. He is there giving approval. Oh no, he belongs here. Oh, she belongs here. I purchased them with my very life. They are part of our family. They are joint heirs. They inherit what I inherit. They're my brother. They're my sister. See, the more we realize this, the more effect that will have in pursuing the Lord and living for the Lord. So we are fellow citizens with the saints. We are members of the household of God, um, which is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Let me just say a short note about verse 20. Different um, pastors, theologians, Christians interpret uh, verse 20 in very different ways. My understanding would be apostles were the, the chosen 12 apostles plus Paul who saw the risen Christ, and the prophets are the Old Testament prophets, so they are the foundation of the church. Now, different Christians probably in this room see those passages differently. We can talk about that. We're going to get into that more in Ephesians chapter 4 as well. But the point is not that, but the point is there's a foundation that was built in the apostles and the prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone is the foundational stone. It's what the whole household of God is built on. We'll see later in Ephesians 5, he uses a different metaphor, the, the body, and, and Jesus is the head. But he's the center. He's what we rest all our hope on as Christians, individually, but also to care for a local church, to care for a community of Christians, which we have here, in Indiana County and beyond, to care for the bride of Christ universal throughout the globe. He is the cornerstone. We can put all of our weight on him and it will not give solid and secure. So he's the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into one holy temple. See, God's Holy Spirit dwells in his people, which brings us to the next now. Now we are the dwelling place of God. We are the dwelling place of God. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
So if you know your Old Testament history and your Jewish history, um, and if we were Jewish and you, you've read that, that, that's a really big deal. So no longer are there rules and requirements. No longer is there a temple or a tabernacle where God's presence dwells. But he chooses boys and girls, men and women, teenagers, to save and then dwell inside of, and dwell among. And so now we are the dwelling place of God because of what Jesus has done for us. So as was being shared at the, the mic this morning, if you are discouraged in your Christian life, if you feel flat in your Christian life, you're reading the Bible and it just feels like words that, that don't penetrate your heart and your mind, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. We're called to, to be filled with the Spirit so we can call out to the Lord and ask Him to fill us freshly with His Spirit. And He will do it over and over and over again because you are the dwelling place of God. I want to go back to the butterfly and the caterpillar. So we got brilliant butterflies flying around, let's say thousands of them. We got chubby little caterpillars hardly moving one mile per hour, but then they get out of breath, so then they stop and they eat, eat plants. So they're going nowhere. Beautiful butterflies, chubby caterpillar. So I want you to imagine if you were a butterfly and your friend was a butterfly, but you look down and your friend the butterfly is still living like a caterpillar. Doesn't use his wings. Doesn't move very much. All the caterpillars are crawling around and the, your, your friend the butterfly is just walking with them, moving with them. Never, never does what he or she can now do. See, that's what it's like when we're Christians. We really have trusted in Jesus, but we don't realize or recognize or live in the reality of all these new now realities that happened when Jesus saved you. And so we keep going back to our old life and just milling around over here. And, and, and it's empty and it's, it's um, filled with heartache at times. And it's, it's not bringing honor and glory to the Lord. And so what the Lord wants you to do is to, to really understand this new reality that he has made inside of you. And he wants you to walk in it. He wants you to live in it. One of the things that Dave said last week, he ended with Ephesians 2.10 that I want to end with again today, that when Christ saved you, oh, he has this incredible purpose for your life. He wants you to use your gifts, talents, and abilities. He wants you to do it in community with God's people. To not... not let's say, be in isolation and just waiting for, for the, your life to be over, but to actually vibrantly be alive in Him and using your gifts and abilities for Him, which I know many of you are, but I, I believe one of the things the Lord wants to do is, is increase your expectation, increase your vision of what God wants to do in and through you. So I want to close with this verse. For we are His workmanship. We once were all those things. Now we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, the moment you were saved, there's these new assignments, these good works that God has for each of his people, individually and I believe collectively as Christians. And we're to walk in them. You will be happiest. You will be most joy-filled when you are living out the purposes that God has for you. Once you were all these things, now you are this beautiful son or daughter who has God's Spirit inside of you. God's presence goes with you. So let's be stirred to use our gifts and abilities for Him. Let's all stand. The band could come up. And let's pray. Jesus, thank you for completely transforming our lives. Thank you for opening the way to access to the living God. Thank you that because of your death, we are adopted, we are a family. Thank you that you have purposes for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that as we sing this final song that there would be faith that would rise in our hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray that you would give us ideas, stirrings to, to use our gifts and abilities for you in, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our sports teams, wherever you call us to be salt and light. May we do it with great boldness and joy. And Lord, for those who feel like they're stuck, Lord, we ask that you would free them today. And we will give you all the glory, and we ask this in your name. Amen.